All right, we're now going to close out Paul's epistles with what have often been called the pastoral letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus. Uh, now, Philemon's at the end, but we've already covered that in a previous lesson. Uh, and these three letters, the last ones that we have on record of Paul, are similar but a little bit different. They're epistles in the fact that they're letters. They're 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 written by presumably Paul. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, but where they're a little bit different is where other letters that Paul wrote, he basically was writing to a church community. So Thessalonians was to the entire church in Thessalonica uh, and Roman, to the church in Rome. So they were sort of like big, let me talk to everybody. The pastoral letters are a bit more personal. Both First and Second Timothy and Titus are actually written to a specific person. First and Second Timothy to a guy named Timothy, and then Titus to Titus. So they're a little more direct, a little more personal. They still got a lot to teach us, but they come to us a little bit differently than this is for the whole church community. These are really for these two guys. And the reason why they're also called the pastoral epistles is because in writing to these two guys, in writing to Timothy and Titus, and we'll talk about both their local contexts, he was often writing about what we might call leadership principles. These three letters uh, go a long way towards talking to us about what it means to be what we would call today a pastor or a leader of a church, what to look for, what not to look for, what to expect of leadership. So these three letters are often at the core of many discussions churches have about church policy, church leadership, who can and can't be a pastor, who should or shouldn't teach, who should be elders, all these kind of things. First, Second Timothy and Titus, Paul wants to write to these two young leaders and talk to him about leadership. So we'll dive in first to 1 Timothy, which is a really, uh, man, 1 Timothy is a really important book in a lot of ways because a lot of the Christian community have had big discussions and arguments about things that are talked about in it. Now, we think that 1 Timothy was written probably towards the end of Paul's life uh, in the 60s or so. So you're probably talking about uh, another 10, maybe 15 years after Thessalonians. And in many ways, and I want to touch on this briefly, First and Second Timothy and Titus are often the most disputed letters when it comes to authorship. Did Paul actually write these letters? Uh, they're very different in style when you look at the original Greek and the writing and different in literary form. So some people say he didn't write them. He also says some things, especially in First Timothy, about women and slaves and things that maybe we say, well, maybe Paul didn't write this. Uh, I think a better answer is, and I think I'm aligned probably with uh, Calvary Chapel on this point, it's probably more likely that Paul being in prison, being an old man, we know that he went through a lot of abuse. We know he tells us in other letters that he's been beaten and shipwrecked and stoned, and we think he probably barely could walk at some point. Now he's in prison. Uh, he probably just had a scribe write it. So he's probably dictating uh, to someone else um, who's sitting down and writing it and they're choosing phrases and things along with him. And that's why maybe it doesn't look quite like how Paul wrote some of his other letters. This is the most likely explanation, in my opinion, and maintains the, uh, if Paul didn't write it, uh, well, there are other letters like Matthew. Did Matthew, did, did the Matthew the tax collector, collector really write the book of Matthew? Well, if he didn't, it doesn't change inspiration for us because the book doesn't claim Matthew wrote it. Uh, that's later church tradition. If the book said, I, Matthew, wrote this book, and then we found out it wasn't Matthew, well, then we could have arguments about whether it should be an inspired book. First and Second Timothy claim, I, Paul, right? Um, so it's very likely that Paul was definitely the 
author or mind behind the letter, but it looks different because he probably had someone else actually pen it. Maybe they were sitting outside his prison door writing it. We don't know. Uh, but let's talk about the purpose of these writings. What, what's going on? I kind of already addressed it. So first and second Timothy, we're gonna start with first Timothy. It's addressed to a young man who worked with and traveled with Paul. And we see this in his other letters, in Colossians and uh, uh, Philemon and other places. Timothy's involved. He's one of his traveling companions. Uh, he's training Timothy. We know a little bit about Timothy's history. He was raised in a Christian home. So again, we're, we're 30 years later or so. So you now have a second generation. Um, and this letter was intended to be read by the church at Ephesus where he leads. And uh, so he's, he's taken over a church in the city of Ephesus. And the reason that Paul is writing to him is similar than some of the stuff we've already seen. The, the basic reason he's writing is that in the city of Ephesus, where Timothy is pastoring, there are apparently false teachers bringing ideas into the church that Paul believes are contrary to the gospel. And so Paul writes this letter to his protege, Timothy, who's, you know, Paul's in prison. He's an older man. He's writing to this guy that he helped train, who's pastoring a church. He's like, let me give you some advice. I, I, I want to guide you and help you through the situation. And we read some of the same issues we saw in Colossians and other places that you have Jews that are trying to make Christians Jewish by following Jewish laws, heavy things. You have asceticism, people, you know, trying to be overly beating their bodies or suffering for Christ. You have what we call kind of an early form of agnosticism, seeking spiritual wisdom, flowery things, more spiritual kind of stuff. You also, and this will be a side thing I don't get into a lot here, but there appear to be issues related to the cult of Artemis that are happening, which is a huge cult in the city of Ephesus. It seems like it's seeking into the church. The cult of Artemis had a lot to do with women and their role in the community. But what's interesting here, and this is the primary thing to focus on when you're reading 1 Timothy, is that these false teachers were not like traveling preachers who were just kind of coming in like, hey, everybody, my name's Pete. I want to tell you something. Uh, they were actually the elders or overseers, the people running the churches. They were the ones inside the church. So it wasn't just like some random person came in and told us some nonsense. It appears that some of the people that were actually helping to lead were actually leading the church astray. So Paul is obviously interested in, in implementing strong leadership and oversight. So he wants to tell Timothy, first of all, Timothy, you can't run this yourself. You're going to have to have other people. So elders were often a collection of overseers uh, who would work together. And so he's like, you're going to need to bring elders and overseers together and help lead as the church grows. It's got to happen. But they you need to make sure they're qualified. Um, you need to make sure they have the right mindset, the right lifestyle, the right beliefs, that they're going to fight heresy, not bring heresy into the church. It's your job, Timothy, and anyone you appoint to help you oversee. It's your job to protect all these other people from things that aren't true. You're the you're the you're the guard dog, right? You're the you're the gate. If you don't keep it out, they're all just going to believe nonsense because they're relying on you for truth. They don't have their own Bibles. Uh, they don't have other people they can turn to. If you and your other overseers, you and your other pastors, aren't keeping to the truth and teaching people the truth, the whole church is going to be led astray. So Paul appears to actually have kicked out some false teachers from the church, and he's placed Timothy in charge. Uh, he probably went to Ephesus or wrote, those guys, those, those people are wrong. They should not be leading. You're out of here. Timothy, go take this over and put some good leaders in place and be a good leader yourself. Uh, so because some of the elders of the church are the problem, some of the overseers, they've apparently won over some influential people too. So there are probably some big wigs in that, in that community uh, who are like, 
who's this Timothy? This young guy is going to come and lead us, which is so interesting, right? Like that stuff still happens today. Uh, you have a church who's maybe the pastor quits or is fired or something, and a younger pastor comes in. A lot of people are like, we don't know who this guy, he's not our pastor. And how does that young pastor win influence and, and connect and, and lead these people? Many of them are older or whatever, all this kind of stuff. Again, they're humans, we're humans, same issues 2,000 years ago as today. So Paul wants to give him advice and help him. Um, I think about young men that maybe I've poured into or I've trained who've taken over roles and have called me like, Pete, what do I do here? I'm like, I've had people do that for me. That's what's happening in these letters. Um, helping leadership, confronting those who teach a different gospel, how to stand up to people, how to be strong, all these kind of things. And within this letter, there are many important theological points uh, combating false teaching that are worth noting. So pay attention as you're reading these letters. What, what false teaching is he combating? But what really stands out is how Paul uses this as an occasion to articulate what a true Christian leader should look like. Uh, Paul wants that to be the primary issue. So what are the characteristics of someone called to be a pastor or an overseer of the body of Christ, um, both for Timothy and for anybody else? What, what marks or characteristics, what distinctions should we look for when choosing an elder or a person who's going to oversee us and lead us? For this reason, 1 Timothy 1 and 2, both these letters, and Titus are often referred to as pastoral letters because they're speaking to not just, they're writing to pastors, but they're also writing about pastors. What does it look like? So let's kind of walk through 1 Timothy 1 and kind of see the way that Paul does this and hit on some of the big ideas. First, Paul begins by giving a charge to young Timothy. And when we say young, we don't know how, quite how old he was, but the fact that he has to point out he's young means he's probably maybe 20s or so, uh, maybe early 30s, we don't know. But Paul begins addressing Timothy by calling him his true son. There's definitely a familial sense here of he's invested in this guy, he's traveled with him, they're very close. And he has put him in a position of authority. He's put Timothy at the church in Ephesus and said, take this over, run it, lead it. Um, and as you do, here's the way I want you to do it. I need you to stop false teachers. I need you to put an end to people who are teaching dumb stuff. And when he talks about false teachers, he gives us some insight into what he's, what he's meaning. He mentions those who are overly interested in myths or arguments and speculation about things that have no value. Almost like, you know, the people that are running the church shouldn't be always worried about theories and conspiracies and all this kind of nonsense. That stuff has no value. They should be people that are promoting love and unity and the basic things you need to follow Christ. So obviously it means that some leaders in the church were all about arguing and controversy. And for Paul, that disqualified them from leadership. For Paul, if all you're going to do is make trouble and constantly talk about things that don't matter and how many angels can fit in the head of a match, kind of philosophical nonsense, like that, none of that is necessary, especially if it's dividing and causing problems among you. Um, that's not what the church is about. So what is it about? Well, Paul then kind of begins to break into some instructions about, okay, so Timothy, as you're leading these people, here are some things like about the relationships and the context of getting along. So chapter two, Paul gives some directives about what should be happening in the church. Rather than arguing and being disruptive, People should be praying for each other. There should be unity. They should be getting along. Um, they shouldn't be waging war and all these kind of things. And so that pay attention to that as you read 1 Timothy chapter 2. 
rather than constantly fighting and tension and arguments, I want peace. And that's where you actually see this really difficult passage about Paul's view on women in apparently in the church or in general, it's hard to say. He clearly expects women to be modest and to fit in with culture and not be problem. Um, he also talks about not letting them teach or to have authority or take authority over men. And that that's a definitely a difficult passage. Now, some people uh, argue that that's clear and straight reason for women not to be in ministry. Others argue that uh, maybe the cultural context of some of the cult of Artemis stuff that was coming in behind it could be at play there. Uh, this is a survey course. So we're not going to dive super deep into that, but that's definitely something I'd encourage you to look into. But really the big idea is he wants peace. He wants unity. He doesn't want fighting and tension. And then in chapter three, he starts to talk about qualifications for ministry. So those of you that are actually going to lead, so I, I can imagine him talking like, Timothy, you're going to need to pick some other leaders. You're going to need, there's going to be some other house churches popping up. Each one's going to need an overseer, an episcopos, where we get the word bishop. What should you look for when you pick them? Um, so he gives some criteria establishing, here are some basic ideas. And what you'll notice in chapter three of 1 Timothy 1, in 1 Timothy, is that Paul isn't interested in telling us what these people should be doing. And that can be a challenge because oftentimes we want the scriptures to be like, this is exactly the role that someone in ministry, this, 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 this. It's not so much what he should be doing. Paul's interested in their character and their lifestyle, the way they live, the way they behave. Those are, the, for him, the qualities of leadership. There's only two verbs we get that really speak to something they do. Um, the word leadership, management, oversight is there, like being able to lead, and the word and teaching are the two primary things. Everything else is all about character, self-controlled, faithful, temperate, um, not overly loving money. Uh, these are the qualities that he lists that apparently they're in opposition to the false teachers who uh, were not self-controlled, were not faithful, you know, wanted money and all these kinds of, like he's It's all about character. That's the primary thing. Uh, and then he gives some further charges to Timothy in chapter four, some good advice for a young pastor. It can be hard to pastor a church. Some of you are studying because you want to become pastors. Uh, this is a great book to read and see what Paul had to say to young Timothy, um, pointing out what a good leader should do, what false teachings to avoid, um, to train in godliness, to prepare yourself, to, to see this as a job that you need to be ready for. Uh, again, don't get bogged down with arguments and worthless ideas, um, especially the ones that want to say that physical things are bad and we're all spirits. Ignore that. Watch your doctrine. Don't be led astray. And even when I say watch your doctrine, it's not in the context of get super obsessed over every nitpicky thing. It's no, make sure you're keeping the main things the main things. And don't let people look down on you because you're young. Um, you need to stand up and say, God's called me to this and I'm going to lead. Uh, I know I'm younger than some of you, <clears throat> but I'm the person God's called me to be here. So I'm going to lead and be strong about it and not be timid. He then gets into some thoughts about widows and elders, which appear to be two of the groups that were giving the most problem. It looks like there was something happening with some of the women in the church that was causing problems and some of the overseers that weren't being godly. So he talks about, hey, Timothy, if you have to rebuke an older man who has authority and prestige and you're this young gun, it's going to be hard, but let me give you some in insight how to do it. Um, how do you handle a, a woman who's kind of maybe being a busybody or trying to cause problems? Uh, and he ends by saying, don't be hasty laying on hands. And the idea there is essentially be careful when picking leaders. They would lay their hands on and pray that God would you know, anoint them to lead the people. So when Paul says that, he's saying, don't be in a hurry to pick your leaders. Be smart about it. Make sure they're qualified. 
And he ends in chapter six by again, just reminding him what to look for in false teachers. Don't be hasty picking people. Avoid people who are more interested in winning arguments or trying to get rich or see the gospel as a means to a personal better life. Love and money, this is the root of evil. It's not the kind of thing you're looking for in a pastor. Leaders and elders who are out for gain will never lead the church the way it's meant to be led. So his big idea essentially is godly character and integrity are of the utmost importance. More than how you organize your church, more than how you structure things, leaders need to have the right kind of character and integrity, which, man, if that's not still true today, I don't know what is. Okay, so that's his first letter. And then you get 2 Timothy, the second letter. And Paul is writing this probably from prison in Rome. Um, He once more sends a letter to his young protege, Timothy, who's a pastor, again, at Ephesus. And just like the first one, uh, there is the expectation that this would be read to the whole church. So Paul is writing to Timothy, but he also has some things to say to everybody. Uh, There's the Greek use of the plural you, like you all. Um, So as best we can tell, though, it appears that 2 Timothy was probably the last letter that Paul ever wrote. Uh, He probably died shortly after this. So when we talk about why he wrote it, what his purpose, you get the sense when you read 2 Timothy that Paul realizes he's maybe approaching the end of his life. And he writes this letter both... He wants Timothy to come visit him if possible. Like, man, I'd love to see you whatever before I die. But it's also kind of a last will and testament a little bit. It almost, it feels like it's his final letter. Uh, you see very personal things like encouraging Timothy to hurry because winter's coming um, and his court hearing has already begun. He kind of, it gets a sense that he knows he probably doesn't have long. At the heart of this letter is an appeal to Timothy and to his entire church to remain faithful amidst persecution. You just you kind of get this sense of like he's at the end there. He's about to die for persecution. He's going to be killed for his faith. And he's writing to them to say, don't you give up. Uh, while we have other letters by Paul where he's in chains, sort of metaphorically or whatever, maybe even specifically, here his writing and attitude don't show any signs of him being expected to be released. Other places like, I, you know, I'm hoping I get out of this, whatever, I, I plan to come and see you. It feels in this letter like Paul doesn't expect to ever leave his prison. Uh, and he's calling on others to stand firm with him. You know, He's resigned to his fate, and he wants others to stand firm and face persecution and not desert him or, or cause, you know, damage the gospel or that kind of stuff. And so 2 Timothy is actually one of Paul's most personal and intimate letters. Uh, we hear him face the real possibility of death. And that, that gives it an interesting read. When you're, like, think about a guy who thinks he might be close to death writing this letter to this young protege that he loves and he spent so much of his life with. Wants to make sure he's passed on enough wisdom and courage to Timothy to, to see the ministry continue beyond his own life that might soon be ending. And so courage is really kind of the main theme of this letter. Uh, Well, the first letter to Timothy offered very specific advice on leading others and serving a pastoral role, picking who should be in charge, what kind of people. This is more of a personal appeal for perseverance. Like, like stay strong, Timothy. Stand firm. You're the head of the church. Um, When persecution comes your way, you've got to be willing to suffer for it. You've got to be willing to stand rather than turning and running like so many have. And what you need to know in in a background about this is... That's essentially how the Romans persecuted the church. They didn't just go and just murder Christians. The Romans believed, like it's still a common belief, that if you want to kill the snake, you cut off the head. Uh, So Romans, when they wanted to go after Christians, always went after the leader. 
And again, there's actually two reasons for that. The first reason is, well, if you can get the leader, then the sheep, if you strike the shepherd, the sheep scatter. It's kind of a common phrase that's even in the Bible. So let's take out the leader and then everyone else will run away. But secondly, most small churches, uh, you know, books and writings were very expensive and rare. So one church might have one copy of each of these letters by Paul. They might have one gospel of Luke in the entire community. Well, who is going to keep it? The leader would. So the church leader was responsible to hold on, literally to hold the word of God, to know it and to teach it because they were the ones that were helping others understand it so they had to hang on to it. So the Romans would actually demand, they would confront church leaders and demand that they turn over, tratadore, uh, their scriptures. Um, if not face death or persecution. Because the Romans thought, if we can get rid of all these silly books flying around, we can get them to stop this religion. So whether or not you were a traitor and turned over the scriptures or you remained faithful and willing to die for them was a big deal. And this is all happening in the 60s when Paul's writing this letter. So stand firm. You're the leader. If you don't stand firm, if you don't stand up and stay strong, everyone else is going to scatter. It's on your shoulders to be bold and stand. So that's what's happening in 2 Timothy. Uh, it opens up with a greeting. Um, Paul starts with a mention of the promise of life in Christ, kind of setting the stage for the whole letter, this very personal, emotional relationship with Timothy and potentially facing the end of his life and thinking about his mother and grandmother. And then he moves on to this appeal for loyalty and charging Timothy to continue to stand, fight for the sake of the gospel. Uh, I'm suffering for it. I'm about to die for it. You need to do the same. Many leaders have apparently deserted him and, and given up when persecution got bad or whatever. It got hard. Don't give in to that, Timothy. Guard what has been trusted to you, the scriptures, and the authority to lead the church. Hold fast to the teachings that you receive. I taught you. We walked together. We, we used to travel together, and I'd instruct you and teach you. Hold on to that. You are the last line of defense. Be a good soldier. Don't surrender from the fight. Stand up fight. Don't get bogged down. He talks about civilian affairs. He's like, this is your mission. Don't give up on it. Train, prepare yourself and begin in trusting others. So again, Paul is, Timothy, you're it, man. You're the future. You can't, if you give up, this thing's going to die. You need to stand firm, raise up more leaders to continue what I, Paul, have been doing for the last 30 or 40 years. It's your turn now. Take it over. He'll come back, of course, to dealing with false teachers. That's always a problem in the first century and beyond, and even today. Uh, challenges Timothy to fight those who lead others astray with pointless arguments. Uh, handle the word of God. Avoid foolish arguments. Um, how to lead people back with led astray. A lot of great things. And then he talks a little bit about the last days. Uh, and essentially for Paul, and this is a confusion for all people, Paul believed he was in the last days. Uh, when he talks about in the last days, there'll be lovers of money, all these kind of things. He wasn't talking about some future day. He tells Timothy, have nothing to do with such people, meaning you're in the last days. Christ has come. The resurrection has happened. We're, we're waiting. We're in the last days waiting for the return. So expect it to be difficult. You're in a moment of difficulty and trial. Stand firm. And then he gives his final charge to Timothy. Uh, everyone who wants to live a godly life is going to be persecuted. Paul says, I know that. I'm in prison for it. I'm warning you, it's worth it though. Stand firm, fight. Um, hold on to these scriptures. Hold on to them. They're useful. The, and continue to preach the word. Don't be shy. Uh, and if you get a chance, come and visit me. Again, just to challenge this young man to continue the ministry that Paul started and that he trained Timothy in. 
which is a great word for all of us. The main theme, the courage of a leader, that we're all expected to be courageous. If you've been called to ministry or, or you, you're in some type of leadership role, this letter calls you to stand firm, to lead well, uh, to not give up when it's hard. And it's a great question. So overall, the question of what does it mean to lead as a pastor, 1 Timothy really talks about the character of it, the qualifications of it, um, the inner life of the pastor. And then the second letter talks about the courage and commitment of a pastor. Both things are mattering. Um, yeah. And the last letter we have of Paul, and it's not the last one he wrote, we think 2 Timothy one, but we have this letter to Titus, which is similar to 1 Timothy, written probably around the same time as 1 Timothy. It's much shorter, and it's written to a man named Titus, who was probably similar in the sense that he was also probably a disciple of Paul. Uh, but there's an important difference. Uh, Paul, Silas, and Titus all traveled together on a missionary journey and were able to establish a lot of young churches. However, when Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus to take over a church, help oversee something that was already established, so a young man trying to deal with the current situation, he actually leaves Titus on the island of Crete and challenges him to start something new and to raise up leaders in various towns and islands. He's kind of starting from scratch. So Timothy is taking over a pre-existing church that's been there for probably 20 or 30 years. Titus is a young man who's got to start a whole new thing on a new island. So uh, a little slightly different context, but a lot of the same themes. The purpose uh, mirrors First Timothy, encouraging Titus, go for it, man. But when you get there, you're going to have to choose new leaders. So the, who should be a pastor? Who should lead? On this island of Crete, you're going to put churches together. Who should you put in responsibly for those churches? Um, and so Titus is included with First and Second Timothy as a pastoral letter, giving good insight to the role of the spiritual leader direction. Uh, and the big idea is similar. It's the conduct of a leader. Uh, which is a little bit different than 1 Timothy. Notice a slight difference. Uh, 1 Timothy wants to talk about the heart of the leader. Uh, Titus gets into the conduct, the actual behavior. Uh, it focuses less on proper beliefs, not quite as about doctrine and holding on to her fighting heresy, and more about uh, doing good. Um, Paul argues that we are saved in order to do that which is good, to live lives and behavior that is good and aligns with what God wants. So a proper leader must also do what is good. Their behavior, they must be self-controlled. Uh, live a life that is good and teaching others to do what is good. Um, grace and action go hand in hand here for Paul. So you walk through it, uh, beginning of the letter, um, appoint elders who do good. In 1 Timothy, it was appoint elders who have the right inner character. Now Paul is saying, make sure the people that you appoint to lead are people that in action are actually doing good things, that they're living their lives Con, their conduct is proper and appropriate and does what good, what is good. And you'll recognize false teachers by those who don't do good, who divide the body. Um, they, they, just, they just argue and vainly talk and try to steal money. Like you don't see goodness in their lives. Don't put those people in charge. And then vice versa, chapter two, teach others to do good. So find leaders who are living good lives and that will teach others to do good. Um, and he gives some insight on what that means for different people, men, women, all these different things. And then kind of at the end there, again, we are saved to do good. So Titus comes at us as kind of an interesting letter because as Christians who believe we're saved by grace, um, it's not that Titus is disagreeing with that. I think it's offering a kind of a balanced perspective. Our salvation is a gift from God, but the purpose or the goal is that we would become different kind of people who live different kinds of lives, lives that reflect his glory and the goodness of his creation. So the motive behind God saving and redeeming his people is for them to do good. 
And when I say do good, let's be clear. The word good goes all the way back to Genesis chapter one. He created everything. He looked at it and said, it is good. Doing good is doing things the way that God had intended and created them to be. So when a human being behaves and acts in line with God's intentions for our lives, that is doing good. And that's the kind of life that God has called us to. It's now the kind of life that Jesus is calling us back to. And it's the kind of life that Paul is telling Titus, pick people who exemplify that and teach others to do the same. That's the goal. At the end of the day, with all three of these letters, I would say this. Everything rises and falls on leadership. This is Paul's point to, in all three of these letters, to Timothy and to Titus. Guys, everything about the future of this Christian community is going to rise and fall on leaders like you. So you guys need to be strong. You need to make sure you're right in your thinking and know the truth, committed to persevere and to doing what is good. And in turn, go and find and appoint other leaders who are the same, who are committed to doing good, to reaching the community, to standing by what is true, to not getting bogged down in things that don't matter and arguing about worthless stuff, to not get set on how can you make it rich or make money out of this or power for yourself. Those are not good leaders. Don't you be that. Don't you appoint other people to do that. Keep the main thing the main thing. And through it all, keep standing, keep fighting, and it will be worth it. And that's kind of Paul's final admonishment uh, at the end of his life. It's an admonishment that I think all of us who have any calling to ministry or desire to be involved should hear. So great letters. Make sure you read them this week, and, and I hope they have as much meaning to you as they probably did for Timothy and Titus as well. All right, we'll pick it back up as we continue our study of the New Testament in the next video. Thanks, everyone. Bye.